Hi, and welcome to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Lindsay Kaplan. And I'm Carolyn Childers, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the private network of the most powerful women in business. We founded Chief to drive more women into positions of leadership and keep them there. At Chief, we connect and unite women executives and have frank conversations about some of the most pressing issues they face as leaders. And now we want to share some of these ideas with the world. Because business challenges women face are actually business challenges we all face. Yes. Being a leader in your company or in your field is incredibly complex. And here's the dirty secret. Nobody has all the answers. And probably more importantly, there's no one right way to do just about anything in business. So on the new rules of business, we'll be learning right alongside you because we may not know all the answers to the big questions we'll be asking. But every episode, we'll bring in the experts, authors, and business leaders who do. All right, Carolyn, I've got a question to bring to the table for our very first episode. Lay it on me, Linz. Okay. I want to talk about the word authenticity because it's become the buzzword used in every single business book, every single business podcast. And it's all about creating a healthy workplace culture. You know, bring your whole self to the workplace. Mm, That is a phrase I've heard often. But the question that I think you're posing is, is the idea of authenticity, does it have a double-edged sword to it? Is it, in fact, a trap? Yes. What if your personality makes you come across as wishy-washy? Or if you're like me and you have a very guilty penchant for making terrible jokes? (laughs) Neither of these (laughs) are great leadership qualities. Yes. And there's also the idea that change is growth. So if you are overemphasizing authenticity and just sitting in the, I'm just being me, that could actually be viewed as an excuse not to continue to evolve and grow as a leader. Mm -hmm. And let's be real. When you think of authentic leadership, that image is usually grafted against a white man. What happens for women, people who are neurodivergent, people with intersectional identities, Is there a pressure to conform to this mainstream idea of what an authentic leader is supposed to, air quote, look like and sound like in the workplace? Mm, This is a great first question for our very first podcast episode. Lots to unpack. Should we dive in? Yes. Today, let's dive deep into the idea of authenticity and leadership. So later on in the episode, we're going to talk to legendary business badass, Cindy Gallup, for a conversation on what it looks like to be fully yourself at work. But first, we're talking to Francis Fry and Ann Morris, the co-authors of Unleashed, the unapologetic leader's guide to empowering everyone around you. Frances is professor of technology and operations management at Harvard Business School. And together, she and Anne founded a leadership accelerator called the Leadership Consortium. They're also married, so they have tons of experience problem solving together, both in the workplace and at home. We asked Frances and Anne to tell us what they've seen at companies who succeed and fail when it comes to building trust through authenticity and about just how much of themselves executives should actually bring to the workplace. Francis, Anne, welcome to the new rules of business. So you are the rare married couple that not only lives together, but works together. But you didn't always. So how did you start collaborating? I got very interested in what my wife was doing. (laughs) 
<laughs> all day, every day <laughs> uh, to help companies figure out how to create spaces where individuals can thrive, not just in spite of whatever difference they may bring to the table, but precisely because of it. And so uh, I couldn't resist getting into that arena. Uh, Plus, you. I think I just knocked on the door all day, every day for, can I bounce an idea of you? Can I have help? And I think you were already doing both jobs. So you just had to pick one. And then we did it together and, oh. and we spend our time thinking about these issues, writing about these issues, talking about them and these kinds of lovely conversations and, and doing the work. So Francis, you gave a TED talk and actually spoke to Chief about how companies and leaders build trust citing empathy, logic, and authenticity as these three legs that help build the trust. And you also talked a lot about the wobble that could happen on that that balance uh, and mentioned that the toughest wobble to correct is an authenticity wobble. Why is that? Yeah. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm an empathy wobbler. I'm just going to be out about it. And which is your wobble? I'm an authenticity wobbler. Oh, I think this question is for you. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So what makes it different from correcting uh, an empathy wobble or a logic wobble is it is very influenced. Your strategy is very influenced by context and by the people around you. So creating a space where authenticity can can show up and thrive is a phenomenon that is co-produced between the individual wobbler, in my case, (laughs) and the people around me. And We spend a lot of time talking about, okay, how do you create that space and how do you make it safe and welcome despite whatever differences people may be bringing to the table? And then how do you celebrate and even cherish the differences that someone's bringing to the table? We call that our inclusion dial. And so a lot of the work of creating spaces for other people's authenticity is about moving the environment and organization up that inclusion dial. Now, I am an ego forward (laughs) individual uh, who wants more agency than that. And I'm restless. I'm impatient. I don't necessarily want to wait for other people to figure this shit out. So I spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, in spite of the fact that my environment may not yet cherish me for all my unique experiences (laughs) and perspectives, how can I show up bravely and authentically anyway? And that's an interesting, wonderful sandbox to get into. And I'm delighted to continue along. Yeah. And so I find I want to teach everyone else in the room and that if everyone is looking out for everyone else's authenticity, it will happen much quicker. So I feel like mine is the way to scale, but Anne's is the way to dignity. I spent a lot of time fundraising in the biotech space at one chapter in my life where I was the only woman in many rooms, only queer person in many rooms. And I would get up at the front of the room and early stage fundraising, it's very relational. So I had decided early in that learning curve that I needed to get up and look like and act like and talk like the other, <laughs> like, cis, white, straight <laughs> men who were, were raising all this money. That's, that seemed like a very logical leap that if like these boys were getting all these checks handed to them, then if I, if I behave like them, it will also work for me. Totally backfired. 
And I had to figure out how to do it my way. I had to figure out how to find my voice, show up, be a human being, be three dimensional, (laughs) you know, risk some vulnerability in this conversation. And it was that vulnerability. And then it worked. That allowed me to then build trust and gave, gave me permission to even say, I don't know the answer to that question. You know, we're going to have to figure this out together. And the, the tenor and the quality of those conversations changed dramatically once I found my way. It sounds like the ease of authenticity, though, is very gendered, right? Like from the way you describe it, showing up in the workplace and feeling like you can bring your whole self is easier for a you know, cis, straight, white man. Is that true? I mean, it's easier uh, within a culture that centers that profile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so are- underrepresented, it's always hard. Like authenticity wobbles mm-hmm. are disproportionately amongst those that are underrepresented in any culture, for sure. So I think, I think you see that pattern, but I can say I'm sitting next to a woman whose authenticity is- uh, I don't is, have an authenticity wobble. Is, <laughs> is the strongest <laughs> anchor in that trust triangle. And you're in a, in a lot of spaces where you are not centered at all. Um, yeah. so I do, I do think it's, these things are quite personal and subjective, but to your point, exactly. Authenticity is the one that is highly interactive with the environment. Yeah. It's such a tough thing, especially authenticity is so important for the leader or the presumed leader in the room to demonstrate, to give permission to everybody else in the room to step forward in their authentic ways. But for leaders in particular, there's in some ways a little bit of posturing that you may need to do to show confidence and and strength and perseverance that you might not always authentically feel. So can you tell us a little bit about how you marry those two things of wanting to be authentic, but also knowing that your role as a leader might need you to show some of that strength and, and confidence that you may not feel? Yeah. So posturing almost never works. I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Mm -hmm. that we as a human species, particularly in 2021, we can sniff it out in a heartbeat. So if like posturing is a shortcut to doing it, I'd just say it's going to be a pretty ineffective shortcut. So instead, I think that we have to work on gaining confidence, not on pretending we have confidence. So that's that's the first part. But the other is that if you're like very low on authenticity, like you're bringing in something close to 0%, we're just like more, more, more. But if you're bringing in 100% of your true self, we're going to go ahead and encourage you to leave some of that at home. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I want to hear more about that though, sure. because I hear authenticity and you can think the extreme end of that is, you know, saying everything you think, bringing your political beliefs maybe into the workplace. Like where on that scale does authenticity go from uh, great leadership to overboard cancel culture? I think that if you're up around 80%, you're probably at the optimum. And if you bring your political views into work, for example, you have to make sure you're doing it in a way that is centered on others, because otherwise you're not going to build trust because of the empathy. And I think you can quickly tell that. But what people that are low on the authenticity dial, I don't want to tell them, I don't even want to give them that you can keep some of it at home off ramp because they're already keeping all of it. What does that 0% authenticity look like? So particularly this can happen often with underrepresented folks that are the only or one of the only. And you're told, so here's how things are done around here. I'm going to give you the secret memo on how to fit in as opposed to lovingly coached on, here's how the majority behaves, but you know what I want you to do? I want you to be like you. Here's the context, 
but we want like the most interesting thing about you is not what you have in common with us. We already knew that before you got here. The most interesting thing about you is from your lived experience and your learned experience and your neurodiversity and all of that beautifulness. What's the uniqueness that you can bring? Do you think that 80% scale changes it all in the context of the environment? So if you're brand new to an organization, is there some credibility that you want to build before you go full on authentic? Or is it that you should be at 80 no matter what? So I know that conventional wisdom is go slow, like ramp up, make sure people get to know you. But I've never seen any evidence for which that is true. And I've seen loads of evidence that the quicker you are to show your distinct value, the better off you are. Yeah, I think the interesting thing on this one too is that 80% assessment is very subjective, right? (laughs) So your 80% and my 80%. Oh yeah, they're very different. I'd love to tie this to a term that also comes from a Harvard Business School professor, Amy Edmondson, the idea of psychological safety. Oh, Amy! (laughs) As you think about these three legs of trust that have to be in balance, authenticity, logic, and empathy, how does that fit in with psychological safety? So psychological safety considers two tensions, and she's very clear on which tension she wants to win. (laughs) And the one tension is, I'm like worried for myself if I speak up. I'm worried that you're going to like, you know, ding me or you're going to say something. So there's the tension of speaking up. Then the other tension is, I'm worried for the organization if they don't hear my ideas. So psychological safety looks at both of these and says, we see too much of the worrying for speaking up and not enough of how much worse off the organization is going to be. So she's trying to equip everyone with how to move the scales towards, I want us to just be desperate to hear the ideas from people so that we can make the organization better off, which means we've got to do all the things we can to make sure that we don't shoot the messenger and do all of those things. She came about it in hospital settings, actually in the surgical suite, and it was costing lives when people weren't bringing up things. Like nurses didn't feel safe to say, you left an instrument behind (laughs) when you were sewing up people. So if you think about those two things, it's very hand in glove in what we're talking about. What are some of those red flags you see at organizations? So people can spot them for themselves. Yeah. Uh, So here's, here's one. If you have core values, you know, you could write them and put them on a wall. Like you can, like, you know, if those have become weaponized, Mm. it's a really good sign that something off. And the way you know it's been weaponized is that you read them and they're like, oh, it's for the good of all. But then you watch someone using it for the good of them. So I'll give you an example of one. But many organizations went through having default to trust to our topic as a core value. And it's a great core value. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Who doesn't want to do that? But it started getting used in practice that if you, let's say, Lindsay, you were kept asking me questions and you kept asking me questions and I was like tired of your questions. And I'm like, Lindsay, dude, default to trust. I stopped using the give benefit of the doubt and I started using it for personally helpful and so that's what weaponized is. But I think a, a red flag is if the cultural values have become weaponized or become used for personal gain over organizational gain. You can find flags everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I mean, if you want to look at hard metrics, yeah. you know, are there demographic tendencies in who is succeeding? Are there demographic tendencies in how people feel when they're at work? 
how are you doing on turnover? You know, this is a war for talent that is heating up like to a point that we have never seen um, in our adult lives. It's incredibly exciting. (laughs) You know, most of the CEOs we work with don't agree with that sentiment, but in the spirit of- Oh, people uh, have to earn employees. I love it. (laughs) And the fundamental terms of that contract between employer and employee are changing in ways that are going to make people better. And I think it's an opportunity to really embrace, in the spirit of not wasting a crisis, I think this is a huge opportunity for organizations. So are you earning the right to keep your people- and then just basic performance. Mean, the, the thing that's so exciting about DEI work, and we do it in the context of larger work around leadership and trust, but it is so central to performance. Oh, yeah. Right? If people don't feel like they belong to the organization, um, then the performance of that organization is not sustainable over time. And so if, if your innovation rates start to stumble. If your business performance goes yeah, down, these yeah. are all red flags. And leaning into the culture question and questions of inclusion and equity and belonging uh, is a really important part of that excavation. Okay, what are the root causes of this challenge? Now, some of the softer metrics we also look at and we encourage everyone to look at are things like silence. Like, yeah. are there, like, who's speaking and who's not speaking? In particular, who's not speaking? We encourage people to get very curious about who's silent because that's a big red flag that people aren't feeling, aren't feeling safe. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We are both huge fans and you've given us lots to think about where it comes to creating space for employees to show up fully. That was Frances Fry and Anne Morris. They were brilliant. They were brilliant. I've tried to call them every evening to get a read on how authentic I show up at work and they're not picking up their phones. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I loved that they pinpointed 80% as they cited to bring the ideal amount of yourself to the office because I have a tendency to hit 100% authentically, Lindsay. Uh, I'd say you're like a good 90%, but yes, leaning over the 80, definitely leaning over the 80. Thank you, Cece. But I have my own authenticity issues. I think I have the authenticity wobble problem and really valued what they were saying about how posturing just doesn't work. Mm -mm. Yeah. And another element I want to underline is that it is outside of an individual's control and very much depends on a workplace to allow for psychological safety. And as leaders, it's really important for us to think about people who aren't the dominant group, non-white, non-male, straight, et cetera, and being very intentional about allowing space for these people to show up authentically. Mm. So Francis and Anne gave us a lot to chew on from a macro perspective, but I'm also interested in what authenticity looks like in practice. That's why our friend and frequent chief speaker, Cindy Gallup, is up next. Cindy is a marketing and advertising innovator who specializes in, quote, blowing shit up to help executives transform their business. Cindy spent 16 years in-house at an ad agency before taking on what she calls a massive leap into the unknown and setting out on her own. She is the true epitome of radically authentic leadership. Thank you so much for joining us. 
when we started to think about this podcast, we were like, it doesn't matter what the topic is. We need Cindy. Oh my God, I'm, I'm deeply honored. Of course. So Cindy, you have a very public persona and don't hold back in expressing your opinions at all. Is there a difference for you in your public persona, leadership persona, personal persona, and how do they all fit into this idea of authenticity for you? Is the Cindy we talked to on the podcast the same Cindy that I can have a martini with? <laughs> do, do you even have to ask that question? I Come assume on, it's guys. the same. <laughs> you know, you know uh, what you see is what you get, basically. I frequently do media interviews where, you know, the interviewer will say, so Cindy, you know, you're really outspoken. You're really provocative. And I go, you know, I never use those terms to describe myself because all I'm doing is I'm being me. And, and by the way, I know that that is a privilege because I work for myself. And so I am absolutely able to not give a damn what anybody else thinks. Yeah. I love that you are your same in all of those aspects, personal, professional, public persona, it's something, truthfully, that I think is really hard for many leaders. I myself struggle with that. I think of myself when I'm in that leadership position, like there is definitely a persona that I feel like I need to put on to show the strength, the conviction. You yourself talk about the idea of, you know, bullshit like a white man. And I definitely have a little of that mantra in my mind when I think about like stepping into those leadership positions, particularly when I'm trying to pitch or trying to sell. And inherently, that does create a little bit of like, I'm not being my authentic self in those moments. Um, but I think that's okay. And I need to kind of meet people where they are and what they expect out of a leader. What I would say, Karen, is to a degree. So yeah, I absolutely say to women, I want you to bullshit like the men do. And I articulate like that because I want women to consciously, when they're doing this, think that they are bullshitting. Okay. But they're not. Because no matter how much you think you're bullshitting, you will never, ever bullshit at the level men do. When the stuff that comes out of your mouth makes you think you are bullshitting, all you're doing is you are finally doing yourself justice. But you have to think about it as bullshit to get you to talk up your achievements and accomplishments at the level you need to. I love that distinction. Okay. And I want to share a story about something that unfortunately still operates today that I would like every leader to really think about and explode. So many years ago, um, I was at TED. They had organized one day where they'd invited a ton of uh, chief marketing officers from various companies, agency heads. And as part of this, they, they had um, hired um, a dear friend of mine, Julie Thompson, and, and they'd hired her to basically um, create content coming out of the day that they could also then use to spread this message further. So I remember, you know, that afternoon, I ran into Julie trailing rather disconsolately around the Long Beach Convention Center with a videographer in her wake, looking very glum. And I went, you know, what's the matter? And she, she told me that she wanted to um, just film um, a number of these CMOs just talking about what they thought of TED on this day, their experiences, etc. And none of them would agree to be videoed talking about TED because they were so terrified of what their corporate communications director would say. I'm not thinking at the time, these are the most spectacularly intelligent, articulate, creative people. Why would you put them in that position in your company 
And that not allow them to speak their own views and speak their mind and trust them to be absolutely professional and responsible about how they did that in a situation like this. I was gobsmacked. Okay. And so by the time you are um, where the members of Chief are in the C suite, you know, knocking on the door of the C suite, you should absolutely be trusted to be able to be yourself in any conversation with the best interests of the company at heart, but able to speak on the company's behalf in a way that absolutely reflects your own brilliant, incisive, intelligent, very well-informed views. So we should trust our C-suite more. But do you think that realistically, there's a limit to how much of themselves individuals can bring to the table within the confines of a corporate world? There are a couple of things I would say to our listeners. The first is, there is no longer a firewall between the personal and the professional. And quite frankly, if your employer thinks there is, they are living in an outdated world. Because the internet has eradicated all of that. And so the best companies to work for are the ones that understand that it enormously benefits them when their employees have a life and a personality and points of view and side hustles beyond what they do for the company. Because what you do work-wise is just one facet of your identity. And, and honestly, the worst possible thing is to be defined only by what you do in a corporate work sense. But then secondly, and I think this is the really, really key point, you don't want to work anywhere that stifles your ability to be who you really are. And I mean this in a very wide-ranging and holistic sense, because we already know that women, black women, women of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, are not frequently allowed to bring their true authentic selves to work, even though, you know, the company ostensibly says they can. And I say that especially because... Today, you have more choice than ever before to not have to work somewhere that does not want you to be your full authentic self. Now, now, I absolutely know that degree of choice differs. This is absolutely, you know, a choice that is driven by degrees of privilege. But, you know, what I would say is that at every level of society, there are now more and more female-founded businesses and businesses thinking the right kind of way. And I would urge everybody to actively look for and want to work for somewhere that knows that they get the best work out of you when you can be your authentic self. If you are working at a company that provides less of that privilege, how can a leader instigate change in order to create an environment where employees don't have to fully mask themselves? So I'm a great believer, um, and you've heard me talk, talk about this at Chief, in communication through demonstration. So you absolutely do not make that happen by saying, oh, we welcome everyone to bring their authentic selves to work. You make that happen by, number one, doing it yourself. So as a leader, you should absolutely be prepared to bring your authentic self to work. Secondly, by rewarding and celebrating and valuing people's authentic selves. And so you absolutely integrate into your culture what you are seen to be actively valuing and publicly rewarding. Find ways within your company, find ways within your culture to highlight 
and hold up as exemplary and reward and value demonstrations of how people are bringing their authentic selves to work and how that is making the work better and driving more company success. But what about the flip side of authenticity? Depending on how you look at it, authenticity can also be a bit selfish. So how should leaders pursue authenticity in a way that creates bonds instead of antagonism? Sure. No, no, absolutely. And I am absolutely not talking about authenticity in that sense, that I can be whoever the hell I want to be and everyone else can, you know, go take a running jump. Chief is all about leadership. And true authenticity that works in the workplace absolutely is what flows from the top, because it's what you signal as a leader with the culture you are building and what you put out there. It's exactly the same principle for a company and a company's culture from a leadership perspective. You need to put out there and project and communicate exactly what you mean by we want to make authenticity work for us in the workplace, and that is the kind of authenticity you will then get. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, throws around the um, saying, and this is absolutely right, you know, don't hire assholes. And, and no, no, you shouldn't. But, but you don't hire assholes when you make it crystal clear exactly the kind of person you welcome in your company, exactly what you're looking for, and you make that crystal clear before anybody ever applies to it. So what do you think the secret is to authentic leadership for people who are still learning how to define themselves as leaders? And I think for many, authentic leadership is is an aspirational place that they want to go. What secrets do you have to give them? What did you unlock throughout your career? My definition of leadership is very simple. A leader puts their people ahead of themselves. That is authentic leadership. When you are ensuring through everything you do that your people are given everything they need to be their authentic selves and thrive, that is what drives business success. And that is what creates a corporate culture that people are positively getting to work in because that is where they feel appreciated and believed in and supported and they will do their very best work. You know, um, that is the culture that is a talent magnet. It is more important to be respected and not necessarily liked than liked and not necessarily respected. So when I say put your people ahead of yourself, that absolutely involves being utterly objective and professional about how, how you get them to do their best work and absolutely setting performance standards and making sure that your people deliver against them. And that is what um, makes people want to follow you anywhere. Because, you know, when push comes to shove, when things get really tough, when the business is in a real crunch, people don't want the leader who's great to have drinks with in the bar. They want the leader they believe will get them through those tough times. It is more important to be respected and not necessarily liked than liked and not necessarily respected. And by the way, when you go for the respect, you frequently get the like. And I think 2020 was a moment where you know, leadership was truly tested of who is putting their teams first, who has the respect to pull their teams and, and businesses through such a tough time. 
I'm curious if you, as you've looked upon that time, as you've looked upon you know leadership more broadly, what do you think the mistakes are? The biggest mistake you see for people that are trying to pursue authentic leadership? The biggest mistake women leaders can make is to look around them at the white male-driven corporate culture and think that's what I have to do to lead. Lead the way you want to lead and the way you believe you should lead. Because that is what will be successful leadership. You know, for example, I mean, honestly, the list is so long, but, but just to take one example, you know, we are told all the time to regulate the way we speak and the language we use. You know, women, stop saying sorry so much. Honestly, rather than saying sorry, the advice to men should be, men, please start saying sorry more. The world will be a far better place if many more men said sorry all the time. So I absolutely encourage women leaders, do not look around you, absolutely find your own leadership path and lead the way that you want to. Do you think white men are afforded the luxury of being a little bit more authentic, of being interesting and, and a little bit, ooh, he's provocative. He, he cursed in a meeting. He said something that was like a little off color. Do you think that white men are celebrated a little bit more when they're provocative and women are punished for it? There is no little bit more about that, Lindsay. White men have <laughs> all the goddamn bloody leeway in the world to do exactly whatever the hell they want. To be abusive, to be bullying, and by the way, let me just caveat this with, there are plenty of good white men out there who don't do this. But as my dear friend Thomas Hamora Pramuzic says, in originally the single most read Harvard Business Review article of all time, which he wrote and published in 2013, the title is, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? And his premise is, as he says in that article, we focus quite rightly on the number of barriers faced by brilliant women, but a far bigger problem is the lack of obstacles for incompetent men. So you're telling me I can't bullshit too much. I mean, this is this is very, very Oh no, um, no, um, no you can hear. you can bullshit as Great. much as you like. Absolutely. Did you hear that, Carolyn? Cindy Gallup's giving me permission to bullshit as yeah. much as I want. Lindsay, Absolutely. I don't think you need any permission. You are more than willing to bullshit all the time. <laughs> That was Cindy Gallup dropping some provocative truth bombs. Another wonderful conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. I think my favorite part was Cindy's advice on you got to make sure to put your people ahead of yourself. And in the context of authenticity, that you need to make sure you're doing it while thinking about others. Well, I'm glad that was your takeaway because mine was to bullshit like a white man because you're not actually bullshitting. You're just tricking yourself into outsized confidence. Lindsay, you have plenty of confidence. No bullshitting <laughs> necessary. So, Carolyn, I think we solved it. You're allowed to bullshit as long as you're looking out for your people. Or maybe said a slightly different way, we determined that authenticity and empathy are two concepts that have to live together for authenticity to not become a trap. There it is. That's all for this episode of The New Rules of Business by Chief. You can find us on LinkedIn, or if you're interested in joining the Chief Network, apply to be a member at chief.com. 
Thank you to Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Katrina Conan and Rial, Blaine Edens, and Gabriella Margarino at Chief. And to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Andy Bosnack, Madison Lesby, Michelle O'Brien, and Veronica Simonetti. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Lindsay Kaplan. And I am Carolyn Childers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>